Uh, tonight I want to talk to you about James chapter 1. So if you'll take your Bible and turn to James 1. I'm going to try to let us out of here a little bit early tonight because I don't know what the weather's going to do. If you've seen the radar, it looks pretty nasty out to the, uh, to the west from here, which is why I prayed for Louisiana. They always have issues when it rains. We're doing a study in James. I believe James is possibly the most punchy and straightforward book in the New Testament. I think it's a, an amazing book. So James chapter 1, um, verse 3, Consider it pure joys, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And we talked about how powerful that is. I'll be referring to this concept this coming Sunday. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And verse 4 says, let perseverance finish its work. Why? So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Heavenly Father, I ask you to open our hearts to your word. I pray that you give me what to say and how to say it. Let it take root in our spirits tonight. And let it transform the way we view spiritual maturity. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you about spiritual maturity. Now, I've been in the ministry for almost 40 years. And I will tell you that it's not the devil. It's not demons. It's not even liberals. <laughs> the, the group of people who does the most damage to the kingdom of God's purposes in the earth are immature Christians. They do the most damage. Because they're in the church. They're among us. And yet they're not mature enough to understand how to behave themselves. So unless we mature, I mean, how would you like it if you had a 30-year-old son and he still ran around wearing pull-ups and pooping in his pants and acting like a kid? I mean, you'd have to put him somewhere. So what we have to realize is that immature Christians, I don't mean immature in age, I mean immature in their spiritual growth, in their relationship with God, in their understanding and application of biblical principles. By the way, it is not just what we understand, it is what we apply that makes the difference in our lives. So tonight, I want to talk to you about what is God's will for your life. I said that on the Facebook video I made yesterday. What is God's will for your life? James 1 says, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. That's God's will for your life. As I think of it, let me encourage you now, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians. I didn't plan to do this, but these scriptures just kind of pop in my head sometimes. Ephesians 4, and let's read for a little bit of Ephesians 4. You know, it, if I had to be on a deserted island and I could pick one book of the Bible to, to read over and over and over, It'd be, I'd be hard-pressed to pick between Ephesians, Romans, James, and Psalms, and maybe Proverbs. It'd be hard-pressed. Those are just amazing books. So Paul writes a book of Ephesians from prison, and he starts out in verse 1 as a prisoner for the Lord then of, of chapter 4. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one, one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why he says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? 
He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave, and this is called the fivefold ministries of the church. Christ himself gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And the purpose of them, and this is my job, to equip the people for works of service. So that, why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Think about that last phrase. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That is where God wants to take us. Mature and complete, not lacking anything. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's God's will for your life. If you want to know, what is God's will for my life? What does God want me to do? First, He wants us to do this. To become mature and complete. He wants us to be mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Why? The next verse says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, remember that, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, tonight I want to I share with you seven things that are earmarks of a spiritually mature person. What does a spiritually mature believer look like? How does, that, how does that wash out in everyday shoe leather? What does it sound like? What are the characteristics of a spiritually mature person? Aside from the obvious things, like Ephesians Uh, or Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. We know that a spiritually mature person is supposed to possess the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit, the three power gifts, the three miracles uh, gifts, the three spoken gifts, and the three revelatory gifts, nine gifts. So aside from those things, though, what other characteristics are typical, are earmarks, are signposts, of a mature, I'm not about a spiritually mature person. How many of you have ever hunted deer in your life? Raise your hand. I am an avid deer hunter, and I'm a little bit of a different deer hunter because I pretty much hunt exclusively trophy bucks. I don't, I don't really care much about killing does and little small deer. I want to kill trophy books and I've kind of just come back around to that I, I used to be a trophy hunter and then I went through this season where I just I just hunted for the fun of it and hunted for meat and now I'm kind of back at at being a trophy hunter now, let me tell you something uh, on an inside loop about deer hunting and, and bucks trophy bucks mature trophy white-tailed deer behave like completely different species of animals from little bucks and does they live in different places they inhabit different areas. They, have, they move at different times. They have different priorities and motivations. Uh, they're completely different in their, in their priorities and values of what they do and how they do it. It's like hunting a completely different animal. If where you're hunting deer, you see a bunch of small bucks and does, you need to, unless you're right in the middle of the rut, you need to hunt somewhere else because you're probably never going to see a trophy buck there. On the other hand, 
if where you're hunting, you're not seeing many deer, but the ones you do are big ones. If you want to kill big deer, you're in the right place. I've got a stand site. I don't have actually a stand because I use a climber, but I have a tree that I, I marked on my GPS. I could walk to it in the dark. It's in uh, Christian County, Kentucky. And I know it's a black walnut tree in a particular, on a particular ridge top. And I've only seen two does on that, out of that stand in all the years I've hunted it. But I've seen a number of wall-hanging bucks. That's the kind of place I like to hunt. It's so thick in there, you just about, and it's archery only, so it's so thick in there, you just about can't shoot. But that's where big bucks like to hang out. Uh, you're, you're rarely during hunting season, legal hours, going to find a trophy buck out in the middle of a field eating wheat, you know, unless you're on a deer, a deer farm that has no hunting pressure. But, but if you want to kill big bucks, you have to hunt in the thick stuff. That's where they're at. And it depends on what time of year on and on. But, but the point is, mature deer and immature deer are completely different in the way they act. The same is true for Christians. Mature Christians have a completely different mindset, a completely different outlook. They, they behave totally different than immature Christians. And when I say immature, I'm not talking about how old the person is. I'm talking about how, how mature in Christ they are, how much of the Word is in them, how much of the Word they're willing to apply, and how these characteristics I'm going to share with you tonight demonstrate themselves in their lives. So, what is God's will for your life? God's will for your life is spiritual maturity and point number one. And I hope, is, did you hand out the uh, study sheets? Everybody got a study sheet? All right, number one, spiritual maturity is teachable. It is teachable. Every person I've ever known who is spiritually mature has a teachable spirit. They are hungry and eager to learn. They do not think that they know everything about the Bible or about God they are eagerly hungry and teachable. David said in Psalm 51, after he had been caught with Bathsheba, he made a statement, and it's, I've tried to remember this every day. He said, Lord, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. We need to have a willing spirit. We need to be teachable people. Proverbs 15.5 says, A fool spurns a parent's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. Proverbs is filled with verses like this. A fool shows his annoyance at once, at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. You know, he's patient. He, he loves to learn. He's gracious. He is teachable. A teachable spirit means you, you don't criticize everything the teacher says. A, a teachable spirit means that when somebody says, this is the way you do things, this is the best way to do it, you don't always have to come up with an alternative. Yeah, but you could also do it this way. A teachable spirit means you're humble. You're willing to learn. You realize that there is wisdom in a what? Multitude of counselors. So spiritual maturity, one of the first things about it is it's teachable. It does not, it does not think it knows everything. Um, in 1 Corinthians 13, the Bible says that love is not self-seeking. In other words, it's not boastful or proud or arrogant or, or, or vaunts itself up. A, a, an arrogant person will never be teachable. And listen, whenever we come to the place where we're not teachable about a particular thing, we cap ourselves off and we're not going to grow past that point. I love the study of survival. I love the study of bushcraft. I love knowing how to make fire out of almost nothing. I love knowing, 
you know, how to survive in the wilderness. I love doing that. And I'm all the time doing research about, I've got a, just bought a book last week. I found a book on sale for like a dollar at some thrift store. And it's, it's, it's the, the, the journeys of Lewis and Clark for a dollar, this big old hardback book, all the journeys and the, and the journals of Lewis and Clark for a dollar. I was like, what? So I bought that sucker, you know, I'm all the time, Daniel Boone's journals, uh, Horace Kephart, uh, George Washington Sears, also called Nesmuk. What, what did these guys do? Daniel Boone took off in the, in the wilderness in North Carolina at Cumberland Gap and stayed in the mountains, stayed gone for two years. I was just living out in the woods, you know. Um, I want to know what these guys did. I want to learn from them. And so I'm always, I'm 57 years old, and yet I'm always eager to learn about survival and bushcraft. And in the same way, the principles of God's Word. I've read the Bible I don't know how many times, and every day I'm in it fresh and new. I want to always have that teachable spirit, because as long as we remain teachable, we continue to grow. When we stop being teachable, we cap off our growth right there. A mature person is teachable. Second thing. A mature, spiritually mature person or a spiritually maturing person hungers for the word and for truth. If you find yourself doing everything except study in the Bible, you probably need to stop and take an inventory of what's going on in your walk with God. The only thing we have of God on this earth outside the Holy Spirit and the church is the Bible. And everything all of us will ever know about God, His Word, His kingdom, His promises, His prophecies, the the government of the church, all of it comes from the Bible. The the Word of God, the, the Bible says, I've exalted my Word above my name. The Bible says, heaven and earth will pass away. My Word will never pass away. Proverbs says, in all you're getting, get wisdom. You're never going to get wisdom, true spiritual wisdom, outside the Word of God. So, Maturing people have, have, have grabbed the reality that the Word of God is one of the most powerful forces we can adapt in our lives. You want to have more faith? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. If we want to grow in our, in our walk with God, we want to mature in our walk with God, spiritually mature people hunger for the Word. Acts chapter uh, 12, the Bible says, I'm sorry, chapter 17 The Bible says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message, the word, with eagerness, and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. I often encourage you to never take what I say at face value. I'm not trying to get you to be an eternal skeptic either, but I I do want you to, to make sure that you go back and study the Word and make sure you make sure that what I'm telling you is correct. I know it's correct, but I want you to know it's correct. I want you to to go in and study the Word. And you know, hey, it's possible I might make a mistake sometime. I hope not. I try hard not to, but nobody's perfect. So check the Scriptures. Make sure that what I'm saying is balanced. You know, the Bible talks about rightly dividing, correctly handling the Word of truth. We need to know how to do that. Spiritually mature people hunger for the Word of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, in the definition of love, it says, love always rejoices with the truth. Spiritually mature people have fallen in love with the truth. And this goes right along with the word. They hunger for it. Now, listen. This is an important question. This is a soul-searching question. But I want you to think about it. Deception 
is a very tricky subject. When Satan deceived Eve and Adam in the garden, he first deceived Eve and she deceived Adam. How did he do that? How did he deceive them? He intertwined a lie with some truth, and he made a deception that was almost irresistible. I went fishing last week to one of my favorite places in South Carolina, the Cooper River, and I put a little photograph of it, one of the, one of the smaller bass I caught. I wanted to post the big four-pounder I caught. I don't know what happened to that picture. I think it's on Donna's phone and not mine. But <clears throat> I posted a picture of this about a two- or three-pound bass I caught, and I caught him on a fly rod with a popping bug. And I said, I caught this little bass because he failed to see that there was a hook hidden in the lure. His desires overpowered his judgment. Think about this next time you're tempted. Now, I deceived the fish. The lure I was using, nothing live. It was a piece of uh, plastic and rubber and silicone and a hook. But it looked like a big bug. I threw it out there. And I popped it a couple of times. He grabbed it. I hooked him, brought him to the boat. Now, I let him go. I didn't, I didn't kill the fish or eat him. I let him. I turned him. I do catch and release most all the time. But the point is, I tricked him and I caught him because he did not understand the truth of what he was looking at. Now, it's very, very important that the older you get in God, the more you fall in love with the truth. And not just the truth in general, but the truth about yourself. And here's the question I want to ask you that is, it's almost a stunning. It'll almost stop you in your tracks. If you are truly deceived, how do you know? I asked a friend of mine, J.R. Gould, who's going on to be with the Lord. We were driving down the road one day, and I said, J.R., we were talking about the truth and deception and temptation. I said, J.R., i got a question for you. He said, okay. I said, if you're really, truly deceived, how do you know? He just went, oh, I wish you had never said that, brother. He said, I'm not going to sleep for a month. And it really impacted him. He said, man, what a powerful question. And he pondered that up until the day he died, I think, and we talked about it repeatedly. And if something happened and we made a mistake, we'd, we'd go, if you're truly deceived, how do you know is the question. But if you are deceived, how do you know? How did Jim Jones get 900 people to drink cyanide-laced Kool-Aid? When somebody says drink the Kool-Aid, that's what they're referring to. The massacre of Jim Jones' uh, group in Guyana, that's what they're referring to. He, he convinced 900 people to drink cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. How in the world do you go that far and get that deceived in your mind? If you're truly deceived, how do you know? The only way you know you're deceived is that you have a standard against which to measure the deception. And that standard is the principles in the Word of God. It will always be so. In the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, in one of the museums up there, there is a platinum 12-inch ruler. And it's encased in a vacuum and guarded because that is one foot. All the measurements in our nation are based on 12 inches, the foot. We are not a metric nation yet. We still go by the old English foot and yard. In olden days, a foot was however long the king's foot was. Well, that doesn't work because 12 foot, you know, a small guy, 12 foot board might be only eight of our feet long. Dave might have a 12-foot board that might be 15-foot long, you know. So it, it just depends. But, but as long as that standard 12-inch ruler is in that case, 
if all other considerations and all the rulers in our in Home Depot all across the country suddenly showed up wrong one day, we have one platinum engraved ruler in the Smithsonian Institution that is guaranteed to be accurate. It is the standard that we can always come back to to make sure that 12 inches is the guaranteed accepted standard of measure for the foot in this country. The same's got to be true with what we believe about God. The Word of God is, the, is like that 12-inch ruler in the Smithsonian. It is the standard. Mature people love the truth. They even love, especially love, the truth about themselves. Now listen, talk to you guys for a minute. A lot of guys have a reputation, and I don't, I, I'm not one of these guys, I don't stereotype people. I don't believe in that. The Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't believe men are from Mars and women are from Venus. I don't believe any of that. I think everybody's an individual. I don't believe in the four personality types. I don't believe in birth order. I don't believe in handwriting analysis. I don't believe in any of that junk. That's man-made stuff to try to put people in pigeonholes, and you shouldn't believe any of it either. Every person is an individual. Look, there are times when I'm an A-type personality, and there are times when I'm choleric, there are times when I'm sanguine, there are times when I'm a D-type personality. We all change. We go through different moments, and we're not just, you can't just stereotype people. You're this, 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 and this. Introverted, extroverted, there's times when I'm both. So forget all that stuff. But understand this. We have to be true about ourselves and where we are and who we are. The only way we can make progress is to be honest and truthful about ourselves. The Bible says in James, if any man looks into the Word of God and walks away and immediately forgets what he looks like, which means the Word of God is going to reveal to us the truth about ourselves. He's like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and immediately goes and forgets what he looks like. I, I, I don't want to be gross or crass, but I will tell you a story. Don and I did a lot of live television. We, we lived in New Mexico. We were on the Praise the Lord program out there almost every week for three years. We did the live two-hour show. We were either hosting it or I was preaching or we were singing or some combination of the three. We did a lot of live television. And one day, <laughs> I was sitting in the, in the round circle, and I was hosting and I had a guy, and there were, there were four or five people there, and they, they were counting down, 10, 9, 8. You know, we're getting ready, and there's no, there's no delay. It's live right now. And the guy sitting right beside me was the first guy I was going to interview, and I just happened to glance over at him, and I'll just say it like this. His nose was not okay in a big way, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, he had Puff the Magic Dragon hanging. And I said, oh, brother, your nose is not okay. He went, really? I said, yes. And, and they're like, five, four. And the camera's going to come on us. He whipped out a napkin or, or a, a handkerchief out of his back pocket and, and fixed his nose and put it back in. It was like, I said, welcome to the Praise the Lord program. And I looked over at him, and he was okay. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. You know, your friends will tell you you got broccoli between your teeth. Your enemies will let you walk around with it all day. Your enemy will, will not fix your nose on TV, but your friend will. The truth about us is important. That's why we want mirrors in our homes that reflect us accurately. You don't want a mirror that makes you look 30 pounds slimmer than you are because that's deception. You want a mirror that's accurate. The Word of God is an accurate mirror. So learn to love the truth about yourself even if it's unpleasant because that unpleasant truth 
is what makes us grow. So, teachable, hungers for the Word and the truth. The next one, spiritually mature people keep commitments even if it hurts. They keep commitments even if it hurts. One of the most frustrating things in the ministry, in any level of ministry, is people in spiritual leadership, quote-unquote, who will make you commitments that they will do this or do that over for the next year or whatever, and then four months into it, I just feel like the Lord's released me from this. Well, well which is God confused now, or was he, was he confused when he called you? you know, keep your commitments. If you commit to be the men's leader for a year, be the men's leader for a year. If you commit to work in the nursery for a year, work in the nursery for a year. The Bible says that a, any man that is double-minded is unstable in all he does. That thing, man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. So keep your commitments. The Bible is filled with stories of people who made commitments and they did not keep them, and the cost was always devastating. It's, it's amazing to me the things that you can get done in life if you will keep your promises, if you're a man or a woman of your word, if you make commitments and you stand by them. Now, people will do that as long as it's easy, as long as it's fairly convenient. <clears throat> the problem occurs when it gets hard, when, when it gets difficult to keep that commitment, when it costs us, when we realize it's not all fun and games. Let me tell you something about the ministry. Uh, I've done a lot of, I've, I've worked dozens and dozens of regular jobs. I have not always done this. I, I've worked at truck docks. I've worked for Sears, JCPenney, and municipalities, assistant city managers. All, I've done all kinds of work, lab director. I know what it's like to get out there and, and work. I'm not afraid of work. But the ministry, dealing with people the way you deal with people in the ministry, is at the same time the most rewarding and by far and away the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. And many of the times that it's difficult is because people do not understand that the ministry is not romantic it's not this pastor floats in here and says all these glorious things and floats back out and everything's wonderful in his life. Wouldn't it be nice? It's not like that. We're people just like you. We fight. The devil attacks us many times more than he does the average person to take us out, to try to discourage, to try to disillusion, to fight us financially, to fight us in other ways. So it's a very demanding thing, but I love it, and I don't want to really ever do anything else. I'll always be involved in ministry in some way. But a spiritually mature person, if they tell you, I will do this, you can count on it, they're going to do it. And they'll keep that commitment. Whether it's easy or hard is not a consideration. Their word is on the line. My word is my bond. I gave you a promise. I'm going to keep that promise. Nowadays, you've got to have a written contract. You've got to have three lawyers to look over it and make sure every word's just right. In the old days, men shook hands. And that was it. Oh, for those kind of people again, that a man's handshake and his word was his bond. It used to be even a degree of honor among thieves. If they gave you their word, they would keep it. So spiritually mature people keep commitments. The problem with us in making commitments is that we sometimes make too many commitments and we forget to ask God, Lord, is this your will for me? God doesn't want you to do everything. He wants you to do what He wants you to do. Now, this is the passage of Scripture that has kept me in the ministry for the last 37, 38 years. 
Matthew 7, 21, 22, and 23. This scripture has probably impacted me on a daily basis in my mind as much as any scriptures in the Bible. Matthew 7, 21, 22, and 23 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, in your name do we not perform many miracles and drive out demons and do many wonderful works? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. So it's not about so many things that we try to do. It's not about having 18 irons in the fire, 24 plates spinning. It's not about busy work. It's about trying to find those three words. Does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Doing God's will, that is the definition for success in this life. That's what mature people want to do, and they understand that keeping the commitment to God's will is paramount. The next one. Spiritually mature people do not need attention. They do not need to draw attention to themselves. They are not drama queens or drama kings. They are not trying to make themselves the centerpiece of attention. They are always trying to steer people toward the face of God. Spiritually immature people want attention. If you know anybody in your life and they're always involved in drama, they're always going through something, they always want you to pray with them, they always got another story, they always got something going on, that's not a spiritually mature person. Spiritually mature people do not draw attention to themselves. They don't always need counseling. They don't always have drama going. Spiritually mature people try to be an asset to the church and not a drain on its resources emotionally and spiritually. They try to be a a benefit to the church, a help to the church, rather than to be a, a negative to the church. They understand that trying to focus people toward Christ is much better than trying to focus people on their problems. So the closer you get to God, the more you want to point people toward Him, and the less you care or need attention focused on yourself. If you want to find out who the spiritually mature and immature people in your church are, just do a major dramatic production. Most of you were not here when we did this. Um, But many years ago at the other property, we did a drama called Revelation to Calvary. We made over 400 costumes. We spent probably $75,000 on this drama. We had 160 to 200 people in the church, in the cast and crew. Um, We decorated a gym. We had 500 seats in there. And every time we opened the doors, we'd turn away at least 200, 300 people. They'd line up around the church to get in there. The drama was three hours, three hours and 15 minutes long. We had a working, life-size working guillotine. We had fully automatic weapons. We had makeup artists. We crucified Jesus on the cross. We disappeared somebody right off the stage in front of everybody uh, in the rapture. It was an involved thing. Somebody from the Atlanta Journal and Constitution came and saw it. And she was very gracious. I don't necessarily think it was this good. But she said, I've been to Broadway, and this drama is every bit as good as anything I've seen on, on Broadway. We wrote the whole, things, produ- whole, whole thing, produced it ourselves, had all kind of songs in it. We, we went from the rapture uh, all the way back in time to Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, went through the crucifixion, the resurrection, the 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 Holy Spirit's descent in the book of Acts. It was It was a major ordeal. And... I dare say thousands of people came to know Christ as a result of that drama. But let me tell you something. While that looked all wonderful, 
And man, when we crucified Jesus, you know, we beat him. And I trained the soldiers on how to make it look real. We had blood everywhere. And they, it just looked like flesh was hanging off half his body where they had hit him. And it was incredible. Had all these songs. I think we had 12 or 13 songs in the thing. But you want to know what people are made of? Get in rehearsal and start practicing this stuff. And start realizing that people can't take correction. People don't like to not have... Who, who, who wants to be the star? You know, who's going to get the center? Who's going to get the speaking part? Who's going to get to sing this song? Uh, who's go, behind the sound booth? I had a guy one time, one night, in the middle of the, uh, middle of the drama, he snatched his headphones off and slammed them down on the, on the mixer board and said, well, this is, this is too much work. I didn't sign up for this. And, and the drama's going on. There's 500 people sitting out there. I wanted to just lay hands on him suddenly, you know. I didn't, but I wanted to. No, it wasn't you. It wasn't anybody that's here. It wasn't Larry. Mature people don't care if they have the speaking part. Mature people don't, don't care if their kid gets the lead role. Mature people don't have to sing the song or be the soldier who beats Jesus or whatever it is. Spiritually mature people are just as happy being the mic runner behind the stage or the prop guy behind the platform or the guy who's underneath the stage, and when we disappear, the guy through the bottom of the stage in the rapture, and he just vanishes off the platform, and nobody knows where he's gone. People, people ask us, how did you disappear, this guy? And we chopped somebody's head off, and the whole congregation just gasped. I mean, it, it took their breath away every time we did it. Crucifying Jesus, you know, we had, had this thunderstorm going on. The whole place went dark, and there was just one light on the cross, and Jesus is hanging up there. All of a sudden, these these. 12 angels appear behind him with swords and wings and gold sashes. And boy, the, the, I mean, you make your hair stand on. It was an incredible thing. But I saw the difference between maturity and immaturity. One of my board members and one of my other leaders almost got in a fist fight over a snicker bar during that drama. It's true. The board member, we had a rule. These, these costumes that we made were very expensive, and it took us a lot of time to sew. We had 400 costumes. It took a whole team of women weeks, months to sew these costumes, and they were tailor-made for that actor. We had a rule. You can't eat while you're in costume. Well, we had a board member who was very immature. He felt like, because he was a board member, he was above the rules. Listen, mature people understand they're not above the rules. So he was eating a sticker bar. Well, the other leader came up and said, hey, man, you, you really should not supposed to eat in, in costume. The board member looked at him and said, I'll eat anything I want to. You don't tell me what to do. And the guy said, well, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but the roller, you're going to get chocolate on your, on your costume. He said, shut up. Don't tell me what to do. Get out of my face. I mean, it became almost a, you know, I had to walk over there and say, hey, what's going on here? I mean, it was just childishness on display. Mature people don't act that way. They do not need attention. Next. Spiritually mature people are not ruled by their emotions. This is huge. This is huge. The majority of the problems I deal with on a, on a basis of counseling, almost every one of them has to do with this principle. Instead of living by faith, people allow their emotions to rise up and dominate their lives. I will tell you now, I believe about 95% of all Christians in, in the world today do not live by faith. They live by what they feel. And one of my, one of my 95 
statements of in, in absolutely absolute truth, undeniable truth, is we do not live by what we feel, we live by what we know. The Bible is filled with words that say, we know, and we know, and we know, and we know. It never says, and we feel. Emotions run with your hormones. Emotions run with circumstances. Emotions correlate with what people have said about you. Emotions will dominate you if you let them. You cannot allow emotions to dominate your life. Now, the kicker to that is God made us with emotions. Emotions in and of themselves aren't sinful. God doesn't want us to be Mr. Spock from Star Trek walking around. I do not have emotion, Captain. He wants us to be like that. He made us with emotions. But what he wants is for the emotions to be subjected to the lordship of his spirit. We do not live by what we feel. We live by what we know. Spiritually immature people are always talking about what they feel, their opinion. They think, they feel. They live their lives on a horizontal level, emotionally responding to people and circumstances on a horizontal level. That's how they live. Mature people live on a vertical plane, responding to circumstances through faith, looking at life through the eyes of God, not through the eyes of their flesh and their emotion. There, this is a huge difference. Why do you think the Bible says the just shall live by faith? We walk by faith, not by sight. Sight there doesn't just mean what we see. It means the carnality of interpretation. The flesh interpreting and processing life through the soul and not the spirit. Your soul is comprised of your mind, your will, and your emotions, but your spirit is the part of you that communicates directly with God. We should be living by the spirit, not by the flesh. So it's very important. Uh, spiritually mature people are not ruled by emotion. They're ruled by two things. They are ruled by faith, and they are ruled by biblical principles. That's what rules a spiritual, spiritually mature person's life. Number six, spiritually mature people accept correction, even rebuke graciously. The Bible says that a wise man listens to instructions in Proverbs, but a fool spurns advice. In verses like that, I could just, I could just read 25 of them out of Proverbs right here. A spiritually mature person accepts correction, even rebuke graciously. Now, look, I want to tell you something about this. I, many years ago, in another place, I had a board member. I do not play favorites. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're my father. If you're on my board and you violate the principles of God's word badly enough, I will sit you down. At this time, at this place, this individual was one of my closest, if not my very best friend. And he did something that violated Scripture to the extent that it disqualified him at that moment during that time for serving as a board member. So I had a choice. I could sit him down off the board for discipline and correct him for a period of time, or I could let him get by with it and violate my own conscience. I set him down off the board for six months. And I said, you're going to have to step down because what you've done is sinful. It's beneath the dignity and the biblical mandate for a leader and I'll meet with you during this six months. We'll go through a time of discipline. We'll restore you and put you back on the board if you're ready at the end of six months. Six months was actually very gracious for what he did. I should have done it for a year. But I knew his heart and I knew he wanted to please God, so I was gentle with him. Now, went through that, no problem, gracious, 
humble. Everything seemed fine. Ten years later, when our relationship is starting to drift apart, I find out that all this time, he's been bitter about that. So the truth is, in that, in that time, in that area of his life, he was not mature. He pretended to be because he knew it was the right way to look and the right way to sound. But it wasn't real in his heart. Now see, spiritually mature people don't operate that way. Spiritually mature people love the truth. And they want that truth to come from the very deepest part of who they are. And they want to resonate that truth through every part of their lives. They want to be real. They want to be authentic. They want to be genuine. Spiritually immature people are content to play games and go through the motions and play a part, but it not necessarily be authentic and real. So, if you can accept correction and rebuke graciously, and just, just, just imagine that you're the leader of a, of a ministry in the church. Let's say you're the men's ministry director, and let's say you plan an event, and you don't clear it with the directional team. We know nothing about it. And on the, on the Sunday morning, before it's supposed to happen, that next, that next Friday night, you come to me and say, hey, pastor, uh, we've, we've got a big cookout we want to do Friday night. And, and you've known about this for a long time. And there's been no announcement. There's been no internal marketing. Nobody knows about it. Can, can I get up and show a video and, and make an announcement about it? Now, I'm going to say, is this Friday? Yes, sir. I'm going to say, no, you can't do that. And the event's not going to happen because it's going to be poorly attended. You didn't market it well. You didn't plan this well. And we're not going to do this. So, no. Now, you've got a choice. You, and I say, I'll meet with you after service. We'll talk about this. And you've got a choice. You can get your feelings hurt because I wouldn't let you do your thing because you did a poor job of leadership. Or you can graciously realize well, you know, he's right. I should have been advertising this thing in the church for a month, maybe two. We should have been talking this thing up. People should have, you know, all kinds of things should be planned instead of me just throwing together a few bags of chips and some dip and hoping everything turns out okay. You know, I should have run this by the directional team and by pastor, and I didn't do it. Pastor's right, you know. A mature person will take that latter approach. An immature person will just get their feelings hurt because they're operating emotionally, and they're all about their self-focus. They're not looking at the bigger picture. They're immature. They can't see it. They don't respond that way. See the difference between spiritually mature people and spiritually immature people? It's actually a massive difference. And the spiritually immature leader in that situation, he's going to be offended. What does the Bible say about that? We live by five words. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, an offended brother, it's easier to take a, a walled city than to win back the affections of an offended brother. Yet 1 Corinthians 13 says love is not easily offended. Mature people are not easily offended. They take correction and rebuke graciously. In that situation, the offended men's leader or Royal Ranger leader or women's leader, whoever they are, they're going to get offended. They're going to go talk to their little friends in the church about how pastor is so mean. He's not loving. He's, he's, he's brusque, and, and he's abrupt. He, you know, I, I was so, he just hurt my feelings, and it's all about my feelings. And, and, and never can see the fact that you did a terrible job in that situation as a leader. A mature person wants to grow, right? A mature person wants to know the truth about themselves, right? So a mature person would take that and say, you know what? I should have been advertising this for a month. I should have planned this better. 
we should have a group of people in charge of entertainment, a group of people in charge of the grills, a group of people in charge of setup, and a group of people in charge of takedown. We should have this whole thing mandated out on a, on a piece of paper and, or email and submitted to the directional team a month ago so it fits in the calendar. And I should have known better and try to throw something together like this at the last minute. This is not excellence. I, I have a right to be ashamed of myself and pastor's right in saying no. That's what a mature person will do. An immature person will do this every time. Lastly, a spiritually mature person invests in other people. This is really the earmark at the final analysis of the thing of a mature individual. You want to reproduce yourself spiritually. You want to win other people to Christ. You want to see the church grow. You understand that churches grow because every individual in the church is doing the work of an evangelist. Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. And yet Timothy was a sort of an apostle in Paul's stead, going around and looking after the elders or the pastors over the churches in the different cities while Paul was in prison. And yet Paul told Timothy, don't neglect to do the work of an evangelist. We don't have to be called to be an evangelist. The Bible says, Jesus' last words, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. Uh, Matthew says it this way, go into all the world making disciples of every nation and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So we don't have to be called to be an evangelist. We've already been commanded. And I think a lot of times in churches, we sort of get internalized in our view and we get comfortable with the status quo. We, we get used to this size auditorium and this many chairs and the stage the way it looks, not realizing that instead of being here, if we would really get after this thing, Maybe we could go buy some property and build a bigger church and build a nicer facility and have more people in here. We could win them to Jesus Christ. And it's not about just a bigger facility. It's not about just more people. It's about changing lives. That's what it's about. It's about investing in people. And mature Christians want to invest in people. They want to see marriages healed. They want to see relationships restored. They want to see people turn from darkness to light. I'm going to tell you what. I've killed some major league animals in my life. I've caught some huge fish. I've been blessed in some of the things I've been able to do. I've hit the grand slam, home run winning, uh, I mean, game winning home run and baseball games and different things. We've all done some of that. You know how good it feels to catch a good fish or to, to kick the goal in the, in the last 30 seconds of the game that wins the soccer game. You know? you know what it feels like. That's such a rush. Spiritually minded people want more than any of those things to see the lights come on in an unbeliever's eyes and see them realize, I need Jesus in my life. That's the most exciting thing to a spiritually mature person. So a spiritually mature person invests in others. They understand that trash on the floor is a hindrance. They understand that working in the sound booth is just about as important as playing the drums. They understand that keeping the children in the nursery is as important as anything else going on in the church. They understand these things. All of these different tasks and jobs and ministries we perform in the church are all about investing in other people. Jesus lived his entire life investing in other people. Mature people understand that their lives, our lives, the whole purpose of what we're doing is to invest in the lives of others. Immature people look at it as, well, I don't have time. I'm too busy. That's too much work. I, it's blah, 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 blah. There's always an excuse. There's always a reason. Ministry is an imposition on their time rather than the greatest honor ever afforded a person. 
But I'm going to tell you, ministry, investing in other people, changing lives for the kingdom of God, it just doesn't get any better than that. So these are, these are seven differences, seven earmarks, seven identifying characteristics of spiritually mature people that will separate them from the immature. Now, before we go, I want to open the floor for just a couple of minutes. I want to keep as much as, as a few minutes after eight. I want us to go pretty quick. But I want to know if anybody has a question or a comment or an observation you'd like to share with us over these next three or four minutes uh, before we go. Anybody? No stupid questions. There, there's no such thing. Except where did, where did Cain get his wife and did Adam have a belly button? Those are stupid questions. <laughs> Dave back there went, rats, I was going to ask that. Comments, observations, spiritual maturity versus immaturity. Have any of you ever, ever experienced the, a spiritually immature person in church and just been shocked by how self-centered and childish they were? Anybody ever had an experience like that? Yeah, people all over. It's, it's an amazing thing. So all of us need to be working on our own growth potential. We need to be always, the Bible says, to be ever more increasingly transformed into the likeness of Christ. To be mature and complete not lacking anything. That's God's will for you. That's where God wants to take all of us to, to be made fully complete in the image of Christ. Mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's all stand.